This is Lex Kibernetica, the cyber law podcast by the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. Lex Kibernetica. IoT, the so-called Internet of Things, is comprised of physical objects, electric devices connected to the internet. They have different usages than computers and cell phones, and obviously unique cybersecurity issues. We're talking about that with our next guest. I'm Professor David Hay from the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. I'm currently heading the Federman Research Cybersecurity Center. I'm working on computer network research, and within that I'm working on network security and the IoT security as well. What are the challenges of uh, IoT? So IoT devices, unlike regular uh, computers or desktop or servers that are connected to the internet, are usually very, very, very scarce in uh, uh, computation and memory, which poses a lot of challenges of deploying uh, security tools within the device itself. On top of that, there are many, many, many vendors deploying this uh, IoT security. You can buy uh, in $1 over the internet uh, some IoT device and connect it to your home network. And then within this one dollar price, there is not enough margin to deploy CPU or to deploy memory or to deploy security devices. We know that in computers and cell phones, there are like four main operating systems. Is it different in IoT? So the number of operating systems is, is about the same. It's about uh, five. Uh, most of the IoT devices use uh, uh, some kind of a Linux uh, deployment or Android deployment. But the problem is that there are many, many different vendors that are uh, selling these IoT devices. So if you look at the cell phone market or the server market, there are very, very few, 10, let's say. In IoT devices, there are like hundreds or thousands of those uh, vendors. There's also the problem of updates where the companies don't necessarily create updates and if they do the IOT devices don't necessarily have systems for routine uh, updates you have to do it manually and nobody wants to do anything manually yes yeah, so so there are actually two problems in the, the way we use uh, uh, IOT devices one of them is uh, as you said these updates over there it's a huge uh, problem because many IOT devices don't have a firmware update some of them do have, and the user needs to do that, as, as you said, and nobody, nobody or a lot of people uh, neglect uh, updating their uh, uh, device. The other thing is that the firmware updates are depending on the vendor. And uh, some research today states that IoT device may stay in the network for up to 20 years or even so I think the average is 10 and it's up to 20 years. So, so if, well, you, if we have computers uh, uh, that we replace on an average of uh, three years and cell phones that we replace uh, uh, a lot more. The vacuum cleaner or the light bulb or the uh, gate, all those things, if they're working, I don't need an upgrade. I don't need uh, special features and they're going to last as long as the physical electric device lasts. And these are the consumable that you can see, like the uh, the vacuum cleaner or the gate. But think about, you know, a sensor that uh, try to prevent leakage uh, within your uh, home or a sensor or temperature that are uh, hard to reach. And even uh, when you are constructing a home, you are putting that and you are uh, counting on it to work for years. And if you know one vendor that it's not very, very expensive and uh, it's not uh, like a giant vendor like Google or Microsoft uh, sells you an IoT device, like, let's say 10 years ago, 
no one really uh, can rely on that it will survive for the next 10 years. Yeah, so if you can have a light bulb that the manufacturer doesn't even exist anymore. That doesn't even exist, so there is no one to, uh, uh, to change the, the firmware. So all the firmware is very, very, very uh, problematic. So this is one problem with IoT devices. The other one is the usage of passwords. which is a, a kind of a, a, so many many IOT devices do, do, doesn't have any password the other doesn't enforce uh, a, a, they have a default uh, password and does, doesn't force you to change it so most and you can uh, you know google it and uh, there is a, a web search for IOT devices that's uh, that uh, that actually states that you know with admin admin like username admin and password admin you can actually uh, get into a lot of uh, uh, cameras and a lot of IOT devices and more interesting uh, security cameras yeah uh, everything you know so the, one of the most devastating uh, cyber security attack on IOT devices which is called the Mirai attack basically starts with we will try to reach IOT devices and we have like 26 or 36 combination of username and password and with that they uh, gain access to millions or tens of millions of devices all over the world and brought uh, down the, the internet or the um uh, like facebook and uh, twitter and other uh, uh, services in and this is another issue uh if uh, somebody tries to hack my computer i won't like that but if somebody uses uh, my vacuum cleaner to attack someone else i'm not necessarily going to know about it and even if i do uh, if a vacuum cleaner works i don't really care okay so this is the, the another issue that a lot of uh, reality devices because there are many of them and they have some cpu they are used as a bots for DDoS attack, denial of service or distributed denial of service attacks. And the owner of the uh, IoT devices, because it doesn't hurt him, doesn't really care about the uh, denial uh, of service attacks. So there is a challenge of uh, making some uh, economic model to sell cybersecurity to the consumer because I don't care because uh, it's not uh, my problem. It's the someone else's problem. So uh, someone else is either, you know, the Internet giants like Google, Facebook or the ISP. The internet service provider like uh, uh, AT&T or Bezek uh, International in uh, Israel uh, that uh, care about the health of, or the well-being of their uh, own network and therefore they need to tackle these uh, IoT devices. So combining the cumbersomeness of updating your firmware and protecting your devices and the fact that this is someone else's problem, how do you tackle this global problem? In my opinion, the thing that uh, differ IOT devices from a, a desktop or servers or general devices that actually connected to the internet is that IOT devices most of the time have a very very specific endpoints uh, for which they uh, need to talk for example my uh, laundry machine doesn't really need to uh, access a lot of endpoints or there is a finite number of endpoints in which uh, it needs to access it needs uh, updates it needs to know what time it is it needs to, to enable you to connect through your phone from afar and And maybe it needs to download washing programs yeah but that's like five six seven maybe 20 mm-hmm. uh, it's not like a computer so it's not like a computer that you have a, a web server and you want the user to as long as the web site is legitimate uh, it, it can uh, go to it so you can actually do the opposite in when you are uh, doing cyber security or when you are trying to protect a computer you have a blacklist or Of what the website or what the address says that it cannot go so it cannot go to the uh, command and control of uh, attacks and it cannot go to a uh, malicious places uh, to phishing sites and so on and you have to keep updating this blacklist all the time 
for IoT, and this is the opportunity because they, are, uh, they don't really need to connect to a lot of places, you, you can have the different approach of whitelisting in which you just state which endpoints it needs to connect. And can only connect to those. Can, can only connect to that. You have to keep the, it updated. You may, might need in to... In case the company shuts down and another company takes over the service. Or uh, in case uh, the company has a deal with Amazon and then they provide this uh, service in the cloud and then uh, in their cloud and then they... Uh, Uh, move to another cloud or in case there is a firmware update and you need to uh, have more endpoints or less endpoints and so on. So you need to keep it update. You need to uh, either uh, obtain it automatically uh, by some security tools or to ask the vendor to provide it. So this is something that is not necessarily done by the vendor, but it's done on your network. When you connect your IoT device, you give it a, a whitelist and you say, you're, you're a washing machine, you can't go on Google. Sorry. Yes. The one that enforces this whitelist is within the network. It can be your home router. It can be within the ISP. It can be uh, somewhere else. How to obtain the whitelist is a very, very big question. Uh, so there are uh, some research done in order to learn this uh, uh, whitelist uh, by observing many, many, like you have a camera of a type, you have many instances of it, you can observe uh, its behavior and then you can have a whitelist. And if someone deviates from the whitelist, you, you can say it, it was compromised. The other one is an initiative that uh, is led by Cisco and the uh, IETF. It's called MUD, or, or MUD, uh, which stands for Manufacturer Uses Description, in which you ask the vendor to give you this whitelist or to have this Manufacturer Uses Description of their devices. And that could be information made available to the public in certified websites and in a format that is machine-readable. So you don't even need to read it. You just need to connect your device and... And go to a safe central location where uh, IOT devices are are uh, listed and you connect your 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 um, um, slow cooker uh, your sous vide and the 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 central site tells you this is what you need to connect to from this manufacturer for the for the um, for the device to operate but not be hacked so it's a little bit more complicated than that but uh, they have this entire framework and protocol and stuff and Actually, if they, this, uh, IoT, your IoT device supports this mod, it happens automatically and someone will download this uh, uh, list from somewhere and parse it and enforce it and uh, so on. It seems like this is something uh, best done when the device is installed or when it's being fixed. So we need the service people, um, the people who come to our homes and, and install our devices to be aware of uh, cybersecurity devices Just like uh, they know th- technical things about the machine itself, how you uh, ground it and how you connect the uh, water hose and, and, and whatnot. That's a big question, you know, who, who should do not deal with cyber security? And there are many different approaches. I believe that, you know, you have to take this, I- this IoT security from the IoT device itself, because if you want to uh, watch over the IOT security you cannot do it from the device itself so you need to take uh, one step back and they have this done either in the uh, home router or within the uh, ISP network or in the internet so you have to have this experts in networking and expert in cyber security to deal with cyber security issues and to have these uh, people that you know fix your problems machines at home deal with you know the physical stuff and try to uh, move you as much as responsibility from these uh, uh, IOT devices to the network. So 
פרסונלי, I believe more in network level IoT security than in uh, securing the device itself, because the attack surface is so large, so you have so many vendors, you cannot really trust most of them. The cost margin are so low, if you can have a step back and uh, look at the aggregated uh, problem with a lot of devices and try to solve them together, it will be much more cost effective and much more effective in uh, cyber security. David, hey, uh, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So we talked about why IOT devices are susceptible to hacking because of their unique characteristics. But now let's talk about the specific issues. What could hackers do hacking into your IOT? And we'll talk about that with our next guest. Hi, I'm Eldar Haber. I'm a senior lecturer at the Faculty of Law at the University of Haifa, and I research law and technology. Among other things, I research IOT and AI. Now, relating to your question, I think that one of the biggest problems is not just the security of devices, but rather the knowledge that users have about those hackable devices. They buy all these IoT devices which surround them, and they have no idea that many of them that they could be hacked, they could uh, be gained access by other malicious or adversaries actors. Uh, which might gain access to their cameras or microphones within their living rooms or just uh, worn by them on their bodies. Now, at this point, there's a problem because even if the end user is aware, there is awareness and knowledge about the security breaches and hacks that could occur, he is left or she is left without any sufficient tools to handle those threats. Thus, they have to be threat on a very... different institutional level. This is where legal intervention might come into play. And what kind of mischief could such a hacker do with those breaches? Well, I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, Mattel announced three years ago uh, that they have produced a Barbie, a, a smart Barbie. It's called Hello Barbie, which can talk and communicate with a child. Now, one of the fears here is that a pedophile or someone that we don't want to communicate with our child will talk to the kid through the doll as if it was the doll that was talking to the kid. Now, you can either ask the kid questions like, are you at home right now? Are your parents at home? Uh, you can even ask them to divulge other information, personal information about them, and even maybe uh, to tell them to, to open the door for them. Uh, now, this is just one risk that uh, uh, relates to children, but all of these devices can either be contacted by other people, uh, by the hackers, the adversaries, And they might also start to take information, to collect information that uh, is gathered by those devices, like what happens inside a house, uh, what people are talking about. And we can take this further and further to political realm and, and other realms. People really start noticing privacy problems when the victims are children. And IoT has a lot of uh, children uh, victims or potential victims. Part of the problem is children because children are supposed to uh, be granted higher legal protection than adults, usually often when they're under the age of 13, because we want parents to decide for them. Now, what happens in a world by which we have younger children have smartphones, which are also IoT devices, uh, from relatively young ages? At this point, uh, the fears are starting to rise because this revenue technology can collect a lot of data about those children. And, and we have to bear in mind that most of these uh, companies are for-profit companies who want to make money. And when they want to make money, they have to have some uh, financial agenda behind the IoT device other than just selling it. And usually, often, it's the data. And now, when we're talking about children's data, this is a problem because uh, the things that might be captured and stored maybe indefinitely by those IoT servers 
might serve against those children in the near future when they grow up. Now, the consent issue here is huge. A child, an eight-year-old, cannot consent, cannot understand the meaning of consenting to divulge information to those IoT devices. So the parents usually and often make that consent for them. However, this is where knowledge and expertise come, come back to the table in the sense that it is highly crucial for all of us, not just children's data, but adults as well, to gain more knowledge about how these IoT devices work, operate, and collect data about children, but not only, also about them. So we're talking about consent where children cannot uh, give consent or are not asked this is almost uh, cynical in the sense that nobody gave consent to having um, being eavesdropped or, or maybe people do because they don't read the terms of service. Sure, that's the main problem. I think this is not just an emerging problem in IoT, although the privacy consent issue, but just to simplify, we don't understand, most of us don't understand anything that we click on in the internet when we say, I agree. But when we do, we don't understand the legal ramifications that often are associated with such consent, meaning that we are granting those big platforms like Google and Facebook uh, to basically data mine whatever we're doing. Now, when it goes to IoT, my fear is that it goes even further because when we are surrounded and we might be surrounded by all of these devices all the time, we can't consent to our smart refrigerator and smart toaster and smart whatever you name it. Uh, all the time, meaning that we will just simply say yes, we agree, because we purchased a smart refrigerator, we want to use it, and we won't even browse through the terms of service, we won't understand what we're consenting to. And we're not aware that, let's say, a toy that is an IoT device that is connected to the net actually has uh, sensors that might surveil us, not only the kids that are playing with it, but anybody within reach of the toy, and we're actually inserting surveillance devices into our homes disguised as day-to-day objects. Yes, I, I couldn't agree more. I think this is one of the biggest problems and challenges with this IoT or smartification movement by which we are actually carrying around the smartest surveillance device in history that has a microphone and has a camera and other sensors. And we take it everywhere. And when we look at IoT, we have permanent IoT devices. We take, for example, Amazon uh, Echo, which we is often termed as Alexa. Uh, We have those Alexa devices in our living room, in our bedroom even. And when we have that device in our bedroom and we're doing what we're doing, that's a problem for us because we can't even imagine that we have a microphone which might be on right now uh, from various actors using it. Uh, and listening to us basically all the time. And it doesn't have to be hackers. It could be the the manufacturer itself or third parties that are installed on it. It also could be used for surveillance by uh, state actors. It it could, it could. And this is, I think, one of the biggest fears in IoT. So we have to differentiate between two different state actors in this respect. One of them would be for different types of terrorist plots. And uh, the second one, which I will address, would be for criminal activity, for personal safety. So if you might recall, when telephones were invented, uh, law enforcement agencies came and said, you know what, we need, uh, we want to use this technology to try to eavesdrop on people, only those suspected of crimes, and we have to uh, have a legal threshold to pass to do that. But bear in mind that those devices could be wiretapped right now. But the legal regime that governs it was crafted under the notion of a telephone, and that changes in light of privacy concerns, when you have a device that you carry around with you all the time and has all of these sensors, 
thus its capabilities are growing and growing. Now, the interesting part would be that uh, mostly law enforcement agencies will be reluctant of telling us whether or not they connected to an IoT device or not, so we have little knowledge and data about what's actually going on, but we will see that in the future. And what's amazing is that we always talk about how privacy breaches are something that people don't necessarily understand or comprehend when they use day-to-day objects. But if you look at Ring, Amazon's security system for homes, it's the product itself surveilling you and your neighborhood. And Amazon has uh, agreements with local police authorities. And we're actually deploying surveillance tools against ourselves. I think this is very correct in the sense that um, we are taking them inside our homes, and law enforcement agencies are uh, readily happy for us doing that, uh, upon the privacy concern uh, uh, that we sometimes talk about. But I think that eventually, if we look at privacy, even with uh, a lot of different regulatory movements that we have witnessed in the European Union, for example, and even in California and the United States, uh, there are we still, as a society, don't value privacy. We don't give it as much uh, a stage as it deserves. And I think that uh, the problem here is not just privacy per se as a right, which is very important, but a broader concept of human rights and liberties. One of the things here is you have a liberty to be yourself in your own home. This is the, the very formal acknowledgement of privacy, uh, which dates back some more, more than 100 years ago, which says we have a right to be let alone. And right to be let alone doesn't have to be just uh, privacy per se, but rather just to act the way that we want to act. I want to speak freely in my own house. It doesn't only affect privacy, but rather it affects freedom of expression of, and freedom of movement for all of us. Thus, uh, we are in a very, very dangerous trade-off between having those devices worn by us all the time, in our houses all the time, carried by us all the time, like the smartphone that we carry all the time. And we, we can't even grasp the different uh, civil rights and liberties aspects that uh, are connected to this. And in the future installed in us, um, like uh, um, medical devices or uh, enhancers that are going to be an actual part of our bodies. This is uh, now a phenomenon which people term as the Internet of Bodies in the sense that we will have those sensors implemented in us. It will start often by trying to uh, cure diseases or aid those uh, with uh, various types of incapabilities, but it will more and more be readily available like a very Black Mirror episode by which we will all have those connected devices within us. And then we will have those uh, privacy and civil rights and liberties aspects even enhanced, and we will have to better address them than current regulation does. Dr. Eldar Haber, uh, thank you very much. Thank you. These uh, corona days are seeing more and more people homeworking. And when you work from home, your home computer does not only have your data and your finances and your precious things, but it's also a portal to your employer's network, which makes you an even bigger target for hackers. We're going to talk about that with our next guest. Thank you, Ido. Thanks for having me. My name is Sivan Rauscher. I'm one of the co-founders and the CEO of uh, uh, SAM. We are a cybersecurity company focusing on IoT and uh, networks. IoT is uh, very prevalent and becoming more and more uh, ubiquitous. And there are many challenges, uh, cybersecurity challenges. How do customers get to know about those dangers and those challenges? 
if you are aware of cybersecurity, then you're aware that you need to put it maybe on, on your computer, your laptop, on, on your phone, but you never think about your streamer. You never think of your PlayStation or your Alexa, whatever you have connected to the home. This is a funny exercise that I'm doing with a lot of people. You know, when I'm asking them how many devices you have at home, you'll say like we have five and then they'll start counting. It's like 15. When we founded Sam about four years ago and we saw the um, trend of uh, Internet of Things coming to our world, we saw a big impact on the consumer space. We saw a lot of devices connecting to the home network and from being uh, just one gateway about 20 years ago, one router to your home, connecting to one computer. Now you have around, you know, 16 devices connected to an average home here just in Israel. In Europe, it's around 18. And in, in the US, I'm actually based in New York. So in the US, you see around 20 devices connected to the home. And I think with the coronavirus cloud that we have above us now that people are now working more from home and a lot of businesses now allowing to connect to their core system through the, the home network, it become more of awareness. We see a peak in our service and a demand to our services because of that. We see that the last two months is increasing of cyber attacks at the home environment and around IoT because it's so easy to attack them. I see just from the coronavirus that there's a lot of uh, phishing attacks uh, happening around it. You get a lot of commercials around where is the heat map of the corona, but it's a, in many cases just a phishing website or a URL that is, is trying to extract data and, and your you know credentials. Uh, we see a lot of um, different kind of uh, companies that are trying to promote uh, discounts around it, but it's really just another landing page for extracting data from your computer. And we see this increase in a lot of countries. We see that in Europe, we see it here in the US. So we see this pick in the last month. There's also increase in ransomware. So a lot of people are getting their computer locked down. Actually, we get a lot of noise around this. A lot of people notice that this is something fishy. We have two customers without mentioning them that are executive in a large corporate and they were hacked through their home uh, environment. So, you know, now a lot of corporates asking us, how can we help them secure their network? How can we be a complementary solution to the already security that they have? Because a lot of those corporates has, um, you know, a secure VPN to connect to their core system and a lot of other things. So it also become a demand from the corporate side, from the enterprise side to secure your home network. It's not just you as an end user. So it's, I would say it's top down and also bottom up that we see a lot of uh, noise around it. What are the popular ways of infiltrating home networks through IoT? So we see a lot of um, IoTs that they have a hearted GUI or, or interface that their password is really like, you know, password, password or admin, admin or those things that are hearted and you cannot change it and it's not really difficult to hack through them. So this is something that we see a lot. You see it a lot of... Uh, streamers you see it in a lot of ip cameras that are used global, uh, you know globally we see it in a lot of um, all those smart lightning kind of devices 
So it's not just hard, it's impossible to change the password. It's, it's, uh, it's actually yeah. open. It's, uh, when you say hard, yes, it's even impossible. It's not really a password if it's, if it's uh, set and uh, is always open. Well, correct, yes. On the settings, it's, it's called the, the, the password, but yeah, you're definitely right. So I would say that those things, because you have a flat network, unlike enterprise network, where you have a segregation and you have different kind of zones. At the home network, unfortunately, everything is flat, so you can hop between devices. So even if we don't care about our IP camera that just looking over our garage or I, uh, you know, our light bulb that is just, you know, just connected to one room, the fact that it's connected to the network itself, you can hop between devices and you can get into your computer, you can get to your tablet, you can get to the kids' uh, iPads, and we see that a lot. For instance, I saw just um, a month ago in Belgium, one of our customers there, there was like a huge uh, use of data redirect uh, the DNS to China, for instance. And we're alerting, of course, but we're not blocking immediately because it's it's different when you have a consumer than you have an um, enterprise where you're deciding how the network's going to behave here. It's a little bit cautious. You don't want to interrupt somebody while he's Netflixing or while he's uh, downloading something, right? You really, really need to mm -hmm. be careful. So we see that and then we're alerting, alerting again, we're blocking it. For instance, we saw uh, someone uh, through an IP camera uh, getting into a PlayStation where you have the credit card and charging a lot of things through that. So we see a lot of very unique method of how to get into data and how to get into uh, money because this is the motivation. It always was, right? Now you can get it easier. You're not chasing after a huge bandwidth that has a lot of um, security layers on where in the home you can get uh, still the money, you can get still the data and it's much easier to attack. So I think as an attacker, you're opportunistic and you see this open uh, kind of way and you're getting into it. So I think it's much easier way and, and there's no regulation here. That's why you see a lot of those peak in those kind of attacks. What can people do? Uh, how can they change their behavior to make themselves less susceptible to such attacks? First of all, you have to understand your network um, at home and what kind of devices you're buying. I'm not saying not to buy Chinese manufacturers because eventually, even if you have a, like a you know high um, pricey kind of device, you're still gonna end up when the firmware is not updated. So first of all, change your password more frequently and don't use your phone number because this is something that I see repeating a lot. Second, I would say map your devices, understand what kind of devices you have and update them. Uh, I see not even just um, the IoT kind of category devices. I see also uh, firmware that have been updated on iOS, on different kind of computers make an effort, do it once a quarter and, and update those firmware. Usually those updates relate to security. This is the most important thing that you can do for your network. I would say also make sure that you have two-factor authentication on, on your Gmail, on stuff that you care about, right? Even your PlayStation, if you have your kids on, on, the, uh, on the PlayStation using it, they're buying different kinds of games. Even now, more than ever on, on the coronavirus, I guess the, the screening time is, is much higher than regular. So I would say this is something that we need to take over and, and 
and make it more, um, I would say, into our hands and, and look after it. So make two-factor authentication on important stuff where you have your Gmail or your bank account or your credit card number or whatever, those things that we are afraid of. I think this is the most important thing. Other than that, it's it's being open-eyed to phishing stuff that's happening. And it's it's we see around an average home uh, in Israel is around six to seven attacks a day. We see in, in Europe around eight to nine attacks a day. So it's quite a lot. Half of it is phishing. So I would say phishing is always something that we need to be careful more on, you know, uh, um, on, on social media stuff that clicking on different kind of links that are not so secure. So just be cautious on that. But those are the four things that I would do if I didn't have Sam. But because I'm not doing it, that's why we have Sam. Because I'm, I like, I have so many devices, and you know, um, I have so many things, and I don't want to. I just really somebody to take care of for me. Sivan Rauscher, CEO and co-founder of Sam. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Ido. This was Lex Kibernetica. Lex Kibernetica. More episodes are available at the Hebrew University Cybersecurity Research Center site at csrcl.huji.ac.il.